We're so honored that you joined us for this week's message here at Hope Church in Kalispell, Montana. Our hope is that you will be encouraged and challenged in your relationship with Jesus. Be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Remember me, I'm your pastor. Um, I'm gonna uh, attempt to give you the word of the Lord this morning and just something that God has been birthing in me, a scripture really that uh, I can't get out of my spirit that um, is turning into a message. And so it's not gonna be completely fully baked. You know how sometimes you put something in the oven and if you take it out too soon, it doesn't have a, enough time to fully cook. It's not fully baked, but it's gonna be pretty raw. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. Before I get into that, I wanna do, uh, just give a shameless plug. My daughter, Taylor, turns 20 today. And uh, I just wanna say, happy birthday, baby girl. I love you, so proud of you. We love you so much. and. Um, I don't know how many of you had the privilege to be a part of the Lettuce Worship event Friday night at the fairgrounds, but man, what an amazing evening worshiping together. I, I think it really makes God's heart happy when churches get out of their four walls, they come together in unity and worship Jesus together. And we saw God do some amazing things. And we have a, we have a little recap video that uh, Sean's team put together that we want to pray for pray we want to pray too but we want to play for you uh, for those of you who didn't get the opportunity to be there um, I, I hope that as you watch this video the heart of what God did just really gets in you and stirs in your spirit like it did for those of us who had the privilege to be there and worship together so here you go there's a spirit of hopelessness over the state that we need to break there's a spirit of discouragement over the state that we need to break. There's a spirit of suicide and depression and oppression that we need to smash right through it tonight. I'm tired of hearing stories of kids in Kalispell, OD. I'm tired of hearing stories of kids in this valley blowing their brains out. I'm sick of it. We need people that can carry hope. We don't need cool church. We need a church with authority. We need a church that knows how to worship. We need a church that knows how to break open heaven. We need leaders that know how to pray. We need people that have hearts on fire. Nobody's going to leave this fairgrounds with addiction. Nobody is going to leave this fairgrounds. Understanding the love of God for your life. I don't care how long we gotta stay here. We came for revival, man. What if God can set you free tonight, amen? But you gotta do like we did. You gotta be willing to lay it all down. You gotta be willing to lay down the comfort of nicotine, the comfort of prescription drugs, the comfort of your gambling addiction, the comfort, listen to me, friend. I want you to be the first one. Come on, brother. Come on, brother. Set the high schools on fire. 
that is beautiful isn't it man I was just so stirred every time I watched that video it's just something stirs in me that's what revival looks like that's what revival feels like and even in my spirit as we've been pressing into you these last couple of weeks and and praying um, into this event with other churches and other pastors it's just such a beautiful thing when the body of Christ comes together like that and chooses to worship together and get out of the four walls of the church and um, I mean, that was just amazing seeing people throw drugs and cigarettes and things that had hold of them and addictions on the stage and worshiping Jesus and, and people being set free and delivered 
and, and people giving and surrendering their lives to Christ and being filled with his spirit and worshiping him in a new freedom. I don't know about you, but my biggest prayer was this would not be a one-time event, but this would be a catalyst that would start a fire of revival in this valley that will continue on. And so I just want to ask you to just to pray that way. I'm going to pray right now. We're going to get into the word this morning, um, but there's just such a fire burning inside of me and a desire and a hunger for wanting to see God move in that way, in such a powerful way. So would you just pray with me? Father God, we thank you for what you did Friday night. God, we pray that you would use it as a catalyst. God, that it would not be a one-time event, God, but it would be a fire that would be kindled, that would uh, be fanned into flame, God, all over this valley, all over this state. God, let it begin with me. Let it begin in my heart, God. Let it begin in the heart of this church and in this valley and all the churches. Father, I pray for every single church, every single pastor in this valley, God, that revival fire would burn inside of them, God. I pray that you would sweep over this nation. We pray for the United States of America, that it would return to become one nation under God, under your kingdom, under your rule, under your reign, under your authority, God, and living under the power and the presence of you and your spirit, God. Would you do it, Lord? Let it begin right here. Father, right now, would you do me a favor? Put your hand on your heart. God, I pray for every single person here every single person watching online. God, I pray that you would use your word to stir in us what you want to stir. God, I pray that you would open every heart, every ear, and every eye to see and hear what you want to speak to us today. God, I pray that your word would go forth and it would not return void, but you would use it to accomplish what you desire. God, I ask for your anointing. God, I'm completely dependent upon you to speak your word in truth and in spirit and in power in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen, amen. I'm going to jump right in to the word this morning. Really, this message has been birthed in me for several weeks. Just something that the Lord, I kept hearing the scripture inside of my spirit and just asking, pressing in, seeking the Lord. God, what are you, what are you speaking through the scripture? What do you want to do with this? And so I'm going to share with you um, a passage, and I'll let you know the scripture when we get to it. We're going to end on it. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. I I want to read the verses leading up to this because I think it's important that we get the full context of what Jesus is speaking into. Sometimes uh, as pastors, we pull verses out and we use verses, and then that's a good thing. But it's important to have the right context and to fully understand and get a full understanding of what God is trying to speak to us. So I'm going to read to you out of Matthew chapter 11, out of the NIV. It says this, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there, to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. And when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear and the dead are raised and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. 
What did you go out to see in the wilderness? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear the fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one in whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And here it is. Here's the verse that's just resonating in my spirit. I pray that it gets in yours. Verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. I'm going to read that again. From the days of John the Baptist until now, somebody say now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. I, I like the amplified version. I like the amplified version for a lot of reasons, but it, it, it kind of unpacks a little bit more um, of some of the words in the Greek. It, it gives it a little bit more flavor. I'm going to read to you this, this verse in the Amplified. It says, And from the days of John the Baptist until the present time, the kingdom of heaven has endured a violent assault, and violent men seize it by force. As a precarious prize, a share in the heavenly kingdom is sought with most ardent zeal and intense exertion. Most ardent zeal and intense exertion. That's serious. That's serious business. And what, what I really feel like Jesus was trying to say, and he was trying to wake up, awaken in his people, is that I didn't come to just bring priests. In fact, he said, I came to bring a sword. I came to destroy the works of the devil. And I believe that Jesus was trying to get people's attention and using John the Baptist as an example. Now, John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus, for the miracles, for the blind being uh, set free to be able to see, the deaf to be able to hear, leprosy cleansed, the dead were raised, miracles were breaking out, and yet it was John who was being used by the very Spirit of God to prepare the way for the Lord, for the new thing that God wanted to do. I love the new thing. I believe that God is doing a new thing on the earth right now. In fact, I believe that God is doing a new thing in you right here, right now. I believe that God is doing a new thing in our church. I believe that God is doing a new thing in this valley. But yet I believe that Jesus is trying to remind us that if we're going to press into the new thing, it's not going to come easy. It's not going to come without a fight. That's why the title of my message today is Wartime Mentality. Wartime Mentality. I think if we're going to seize, just like Paul said, he said, forgetting what is behind and pressing in to what lies ahead, I want to apprehend everything that Christ Jesus apprehended me for. And it's not going to happen by chance. It's not going to happen because we're just sitting and we're just waiting. It's going to happen because when the people of God awaken to the reality that we are in a war. We are in a war for your soul. We're in a war for the church. And unless we awaken to the fact that there is a holy violence that needs to awaken inside of us. That right now there is an all-out assault on the church. There's an all-out assault on the word of God. There's an all-out assault on your identity as a son and daughter. 
There's an all salt out on your identity, your gender identity. Just look at today, man. Look at the day and age we're living in. Look at this last year and everything that we experience. If you can't see it, man, I think we're, we have we become so numb, so blind, so conditioned, so comfortable, so inconvenienced that we don't, aren't awake enough to be able to have eyes to see. There's an all-out assault on our children. There's an all-out assault on your family. There is a violence that is happening, an all-out attack on the very fabric of the church. Look at what happened last year. Now, I, I, I believe that the enemy of our soul used this virus not only to take people out health-wise, but also to open up a door of fear that he came in like a flood, and if you open that door to fear, he's come in and he is wreaking havoc on not only God's people, but the whole world. There is an all-out assault on mental health. There's an all-out assault on marriage. There's an all-out assault on your family. And there's an all-out assault trying to keep you from the body of Christ, the very thing that Jesus established to strengthen you, to protect you, to come alongside you, to feed you, to equip you, for brothers and sisters to come alongside you and link arms together in this battle, in this fight for your soul and for my soul and for my marriage, and for my family. How many of you are Rocky fans out there? <laughs> Got any Rocky fans? Hey, yo, Mick, you know, uh, just, uh, that's pretty good, right? Yo, Adrian, I did it! That wasn't, that wasn't quite as good. But I love Rocky. I'm from Yonkers, New York. I don't know how I got out here. I'm still trying to figure that out. God just told my wife and I, I want you to go to Montana. I've never been west of the Mississippi. I'm a city boy. Grew up on the pavement just outside of the Bronx, going to Yankee games. Holla at your boy. 28 world championships. Love the Yankees. Anyway, I mean, I love Rocky. I love Rocky movies. There's just something about it. I mean, just if you're a man, it just kind of gets your blood boiling. If you're a woman, it should get your blood boiling anyway. And um, what I love about the story of Rocky is that there, here's this average guy in Philadelphia who just has this insatiable hunger and fight within him. And he doesn't have a lot of money. He doesn't have a lot of training. He's just raw, but he's got a hunger. And he's got a desire that, that even though he may get knocked down, the guy just keeps getting back up. He keeps getting in the fight. He fights for it because he's hungry. And, and you know the story, he becomes world champion and he trains, he trains like raw, man. He trains like Montana style, chasing chickens in a pen to get faster and through the dirt. And he's like boxing raw meat, hanging in a meat locker, getting his hands all bloody and messy and dirty. And uh, he becomes world champion. And, and, you know, Rocky one, Rocky two, and, he's, and he beats people. And then, you know, you get a new challenger, a Russian guy, a new foe. He beats them. Well, there's a point in the story in Rocky three, probably my favorite Rocky. We're now Rocky. He, uh, he's world champion. He's famous. He's making millions of dollars, lives in a mansion, got beautiful cars, beautiful things. And something happens to him. Something changes. He gets comfortable in his lifestyle. He becomes a little civilized. He doesn't want to risk anymore. And, and he's trying to train with his trainer, Mick, and he goes to this really fancy gym where there's like girls dancing around and lights and everything's pretty. 
And, and Mickey gets to the point, he's like, come on, can we get out of here? Can we get back to training the way we used to, where it was raw and it was passionate and it was messy, but it, it worked. And, and, and there's something, as Rocky's training, his trainer, Mick, he, he recognizes something in him. There's something that happens. There's a shift that happens where he loses a little bit of his fight. He loses a little bit of the rawness, a little bit of the edge they call the eye of the tiger. He loses some of that passion that he used to have. He loses some of the grit that he used to have to get back up when he gets knocked down and get in the fight. And there comes a, a point where they're training and Mickey realizes it's over. Like, I can't do this anymore. You're not ready. You don't, you don't really want to fight anymore. And he says this to him. He says, but then the, he's like, you know, you became the champ and everything was great and you're on top of the world. He said, but then the worst thing happened to you. That could happen to any fighter. He says, you got civilized. And I wonder if that hasn't happened in the church today. I wonder if the church that was birthed through violence it was birthed through a man being violently murdered named Jesus on a cross that birthed the church that gave this this command to his disciples to go to go into all the nation take what I've taught you baptize people tread on serpents heal the sick do the do the miracles that I've done and that this whole movement that we are a part of called the church was birthed Violently, People were murdered for it. They risked everything. They left homes. They left, they left families. They left their careers. And they risked everything and put it on the line for the gospel. And then probably the worst thing that could have happened to the church was it got civilized. It was adopted. Christianity actually got adopted as the national religion of Rome. And as it got civilized... It got programized, and it squeezed the very life and the rawness and the hunger and the thirst and the fight out of the church. And I believe that Jesus this morning is trying to remind us that we are a part of a kingdom that has suffered violence. Look at, look at everything that has gone on in the last year. You'd have to be blind not to see that we have suffered violence. There's been a violent attack on the church. It wants to shut you up. It wants to distort the truth and the word of God. It, it wants to cancel church. It wants to cancel the word of God. It wants to squeeze the life out of you and out of the church. And it wants to destroy it. We shouldn't be surprised at this. Jesus warned us that this would happen. He warned us that we have an adversary that comes to seek to kill, steal, and destroy the very work of God. Yet we serve a Savior that is alive inside of you, inside of me, that said, I came that I might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus was so fed up with sin. It was killing his people, separating them from his life and his love and his peace and his joy that he invaded earth from heaven. The world has never been the same. And I believe that if the people of God now more than ever need to be awakened that we need to take this fight to the devil. I love this quote. It says this, until you believe that life is a war, and that the stakes are your soul. You will probably just play at Christianity with no blood, no earnestness, no vigilance, and no passion, and no wartime mindset. 
And that is, if that's where you are, your position is very precarious. The enemy has lulled you into sleep, into a peacetime mentality, as if nothing serious is at stake. Now I think about that. I think about when I look at our culture and generations, even my generation, there's been generations that have not had to go to war physically. Now I'm talking like globally, like as a country, we have not had to go to war in a very long time. There's some of you men that have served this country and you know exactly what it's like to have a wartime mentality. You know what it's like to go to war. You know that there is a shift that has to happen that is different in times of peace. See, peacetime mentality is you start to relax. You start to get comfortable. You start to um, get used to a certain standard uh, of living and you mentally um, check out of the reality that even though you might be comfortable, there's enemies at work. In fact, Paul said it like this in Ephesians 6, uh, 12. He said this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. See, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God, he wasn't talking about a visible kingdom. He's talking about an invisible kingdom. An invisible kingdom that is at war. A, a kingdom that you cannot see with your eyes, but you can feel in your spirit. In fact, as, as God has been moving in our church and God has been moving in this valley, and I even think Friday night, again, was just a, a building of God moving. I felt in my spirit. I don't see the fullness of it yet, but in my spirit, I can feel the rumblings of revival. I can feel it. You feel it in your spirit before you hear it, and, you, and, and before you see it physically. And I'm telling you that I could feel that there is this tension inside of me. There is this war going on in the heavenlies. And that war is for your soul. And unless you adopt a wartime mentality, what's a wartime mentality, Pastor Lance? It's the reality that you're engaged in a battle and you might not even know it. And you need to be awakened to it. That's why some of your marriages are struggling. That's why your finances are struggling. That's why some of you are dealing with sickness, disease, sin, broken relationships, just wrestling with your flesh. All of this, there's a tension inside of us. As, so watch how this happens. As the rumblings of revival are happening and as something is happening in the spirit, the enemy knows this is happening and he's trying to combat that thing to keep it from uh, coming forth from that new life coming out completely for you stepping into the fullness of who you are, who God made you, your true identity, your true purpose. And every time God starts to move, there's something that starts happening. Our flesh starts to rise up. Spiritually, you feel um, a pressure against that thing. And, and for some of us, this can discourage us because as we're pressing into God, we feel that tension and we see sin in ourselves and, and it can discourage us to pull back. Now, my wife and I, we always agree on how to parent our kids. And uh, I don't know how many of you parents are like that out there. But there's been a few times, maybe just a few, where we haven't agreed completely on how we're going to parent our child. And this was one of them I'll share with you, uh, one of those instances. I've had a couple times where some of my boys have come home from school and you could just tell something's not right in them. 
something's going on, and so you're like, hey, bub, what, what's going on? And you, know, you have to kind of try to pry it out of them. But eventually you get out of them that they've been bullied, being bullied, they're being picked on. And, you know, growing up in a Christian home and where we're nice and, and we turn the other cheek, you know, we, you know, most of the time, you know, my wife is like, it's going to be okay. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's on like Donkey Kong. I'm like, come here, son. I'm like, here's what I want you to do. The next time that kid picks on you or says that, you have my full permission to pull back and let one fly and you just knock him straight in the teeth. I said, you will not get in trouble with me, your father. You might get expelled from school, but it's okay. Your mama will school you. <laughs> it's going to be all right. You watch videos, play Fortnite. It's going to be all right. But listen, you will not get in trouble with me. because, And here's why. I know that all it takes is you to punch him in the mouth one time and you let him know. He will never pick on you again. Can I tell you something? Some of you, you've been letting the devil harass you, pick on you, beat you down, bully you, and it's time that you stood up and punched that devil in the teeth and said, no more. See, there has, to get a, there has to be a holy fight that wells up in you that says, ah, you get a little Popeye. I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And you eat your can of spinach and you just let them have one, man. Let it rip. I think that's where we're at. So I got three things for you that if we're gonna have a wartime mindset that I believe that we need to do, and the first one is this, we need to put sin to death. See, see one of the all-out assaults, I believe, is for us to get used to sin in our life. Make friends with sin, tolerate sin, build a little house for it in, in the closet of our soul and, and throw it a bone every once in a while, let it out and play with it and, and, and then put it back in its little, little home and, and let it live there and, and coincide with it where I got my compartment that nobody else knows about and then I got the rest of me that comes to church and, and, and tries to live the Christian life but I don't want anybody to know about this little compartment over here. I keep that hidden because I'm ashamed of it and the enemy uses it to keep you bound, to keep you from fully engaging in what God has for you, his purpose. And I'm telling you that, that one of the things that, see now, I believe that the enemy and part of what Jesus was trying to show us is that the kingdom had suffered violence because John the Baptist got thrown in prison and eventually would be beheaded. Interesting that they would take the head off John the Baptist because John the Baptist was being used to prepare the way for Jesus to prepare the way for the new life that Jesus was ushering in, to prepare the way for miracles. And so what the enemy will do is first, he will try to keep you bound in a prison of sin. And he will try to take the head off of the Holy Spirit in your life to warn you and to call you to repentance. That's what John the Baptist did to prepare the way for the Lord. He was calling out to somebody in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. That's a mindset. Repentance is a mindset. Repentance means I've been going this way and following my own way and living in a life in sin, and now I'm taking a stand. I'm saying no more. And that is something that is violent, spiritually speaking. Listen, sin will not get eradicated out of your soul without some holy violence. There's blood that's gonna be shed. You're gonna to have to get a little blood on your hands. 
You're going to have to get a little blood on your knees. i got to be covered in the blood. Even Peter, when Jesus went to wash his feet, and he said, no, 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 Lord, don't. No, I'm not going to let you do that. And, and Jesus said, unless you let me, you will have no part of me. And I think we need the response that Peter had. Well, if that's the case, Lord, don't just wash my feet. I don't need you to just cleanse a little sin out of my life. I need it completely cleansed. I need to be eradicated from it. It needs to be removed, not just the presence of sin, but the power of sin needs to be broken off of my life. And it needs to be broken off your life. And that only comes with a holy violence. That's why Jesus, he says, reckon, Paul said, reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Be crucified. My old life is crucified with Christ. I no longer live. That old me, that old self, that old sin, it can't live any longer. It has to die. It has to be crucified. That is bloody, it is painful, and it is violent. It's a wartime mindset. It's, I can't deal with this in my life anymore. Until you get to that point where you are so sick and tired of that sin. Man, I'll tell you what, these, these past weeks, as, as the Holy Spirit's really just been moving in power, and I just feel it so strongly, and God is even moving in my life, at the same time, I have felt this, this pull, this, this fight inside of me, just like Paul, the things I don't want to do, I do the things I don't. I mean, sin does not like to be killed. That old man wants to hold on to you. He wants to keep you in the grave. He doesn't want you to press into that new life. He doesn't want you to apprehend everything that Christ died for and apprehended your life for. But it's going to take a holy violence and, and, and a spirit inside of you that says, I'm going I'm to fight this. And you can't, let me tell you something, you can't do this alone. See, this is why one of the greatest schemes of the enemy is to separate believers from the church. Look what he's doing. Statistically speaking, Barna Research says that a third of all believers post-pandemic have not returned to church. The enemy knows if he could separate you, get you isolated, get you lonely, get you in a, in a place where you think you can watch 10 minutes of a message on, on a screen and you got your church in and worship to a little Jesus culture in your car, that you're good for the week. No, you need, there's a reason Jesus established the church. There's a reason for it. James said, Confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Until you are ready to eradicate that thing, put a war on it, I'm going after it. I'm, not, I'm tired of getting beat up by it. I'm tired of being held under a cloud of condemnation. No more. I'm standing up. I'm taking a stand. I'm fighting it. And the way that you do that is you confess it to God and you confess it to somebody else, the way of the cross. That's how you crucify it. Too many of us, we only crucify it like this, but we never get this. Until you are ready to open up to somebody, humble yourself and say, I need help. I want this out of my life, and you gotta confess it. Pray with somebody. The second thing is this. By the way, this was really cool. Talk about an all-out assault. There was a lady, maybe you saw it on the video, uh, Friday night. She came to get baptized, and there was an all-out assault on her and her family. From the pit of hell she came to get baptized and my wife and i had the honor and privilege to baptize her and when she came um, we asked her 
hey, what made you want to get baptized? She said, tonight Jesus set me free from addiction to drugs. And yeah, that's, that's worthy to give him praise for. And we said, you know, my wife just starts asking her questions and then just prophesying life over her, into her. And she said, tell, tell us your story. She said, well, I used to be addicted to drugs. I got free from it. And then I lost my daughter. And she said, when I lost my daughter, I couldn't handle the pain. And I didn't know where to turn. And so I turned back to my old lifestyle of drugs and drug abuse. And she said, I came tonight just with a little bit of hope. Come on, there's some of you in the room. Maybe you're watching online. If you just come to Jesus with just a little bit of hope, that's all you need for Christ to set you free. And she said, tonight, God delivered me from that addiction. And tonight, I want to start a new life in him. And I said, all right, girl, well, we're going to dunk you. And that thing is going to be dead and buried with Christ. Sin is going to be dead. Addiction is going to be dead. Hopelessness is dead. Suicidal thoughts are dead. You're going to rise up into new life, new purpose, new joy, new hope, new destiny. Come on. New, new destiny over your family. And let me tell you, she came up. I've never experienced anything like this before. She came up out of that water. She was like shaking violently. And the Holy Spirit and fire of God was on her in such a powerful way. I believe that that fire was consuming every bit of that addiction to drugs, completely annihilating it. Done. Finished. She was so wrecked. My wife and I had to help her out. And I was going to let her go. And she started wobbling. And, man, I jumped in there. And her friends are laughing. I'm like, come on. You come and help her. It was amazing. It was amazing. Got to put sin to death. The second thing is this. We need to demolish doubt. Isn't it interesting? John the Baptist sends two of his disciples to go to Jesus and ask them, are you the Messiah we were expecting there's something about expectation John was in a prison he was in a dark place and he was starting to get disillusioned he was starting to doubt everything that he knew to be true and he was not only doubting he wasn't just disillusioned but he was disappointed he expected Jesus to come and rescue him out of the prison and he hears about all the miracles that Jesus is doing and he knows he has the power to set him free but he left him in the prison why why would Jesus do that I don't know because I'm not God but I know this that in the middle of our doubt sometimes we have to embrace the mystery of God that we have to position ourselves to say I don't understand why this happened to me I don't know what God is doing. I can't see him at work in my life right now. Just like we sang that song, Waymaker, even when I don't see it, even when I don't feel it. See, there's something that, that has to be ripped away violently, a detachment, not only from sin, but a detachment from what our false expectations, our false selves, our false identities, all of that has to be ripped away. There has to be a detachment from it. And that, that's violent. It's painful. 
Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about this morning. You've gone through things. You've got, gone through dark seasons of your life. You've gone through periods where you don't feel God. You don't see him. You don't know what's doing. And you start to doubt the words that were spoken over your life prophetically. You start to doubt the plan and purpose of God on your life. You start to doubt, is God real? Is, is this word real? I don't know right now because God, you're not showing up. You're not rescuing me. And I believe that that Jesus left him there on purpose because there had to be this ripping away of a false expectation. Some of you, that, that God is even ripping away false expectations of the church. What you expected, what you thought, expectations, false expectations of marriage and relationship and what your life would be look like. If there's something new that's gonna be birthed, there has to be a violent separation from the old. There has to be this destruction of, of doubts, the demolishing of doubt. I like how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. He says this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, they're not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Come on, this is in the mind. This is where the, the battle begins. The battle begins in the mind. Because the enemy, if he could get you to doubt God's goodness, oh, come on, let me start there. In, in this post-pandemic world, so many people are, are doubting the goodness of God. John was doubting the goodness of God. Just, it's the same scheme that the enemy used from the beginning. He used it on Adam, he continues to use it on you. God, why did you allow that cancer? Why did you allow that happen to my son? Why did my marriage get ruined? Why did I lose everything? Why did my business get messed up? Why am I in this place right now? Why did you let me get cancer? Why? And then we can begin to doubt the goodness of God. That God is really good, that his intentions are for us. They're not against us, that he loves us. In fact, um, the Archbishop of Canterbury, in an interview, somebody was interviewing a, a pastor or something, and they asked him, so if you could give one, if you could recognize one thing, the greatest challenge for Christians, what would it be? And he said unequivocally this. He's like, most Christians do not really believe that God loves them. You see how this works. If we allow sin to continue in our life, the enemy jumps on it with condemnation and guilt and shame and tries to separate you from experiencing the grace and the love and the goodness of God. Listen, Jesus, when he said, from the time of John the Baptist till now, that's the dispensation of grace. We're living in the New Testament. From there on, there was a mark, a stake in the ground that says it's no longer based on what you've done, your works, your goodness, but it's solely based on the gospel, the good news. Come on, does anybody need new good news? There, there's an all-out attack with bad news trying to discourage you, trying to keep you down, keep you depressed, keep you anxious, keep you on prescription drugs. And, and there's a, we have to, as the church, get out of the four walls, start praying for people, get the heart of God for people. This isn't just about us. We can't keep the party here. We got to take it outside. But we got to destroy doubt. God is good, that he loves me. He's for me. He's not against me. No weapon shall be formed against me that will prosper. Th these aren't just 
cool quotes that we put on bumper stickers and just say to each other, there's a reality that this is painful, that this is war, that we are bleeding, that, that we are crying out. This thing called sin is like a disease, it's a sickness. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous, but I came to be a healer of the sick. And when you're in wartime, when you got a wartime mentality, you can't allow things in your life. If you want something new to come, you can't keep old things in your life anymore. Because here's what happens. You get wounded, and that wound gets infected. And if you're going to get back in their fight, let me tell you, when people are on the battle lines, and they have a wartime mentality, you say, you know what? My arm's infected. It's got gangrene. I got sin in it. Just cut it off. I got to get back in the fight. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Better to enter into the kingdom than to go to hell with your hand intact. And listen, a wartime mentality says, I got to cut off anything I got to cut off so I can experience the new life that Jesus paid the price for. And so that, mean, that means war. Some of you, you got to cut things out of your life. You got to cut out social media. You got to cut out Netflix. You got to cut out porn. You got to cut out alcohol. You got to cut out drugs. You got to cut out whatever you got to cut out. You got to get the mentality that I got to do whatever I got to do because I understand my life life is on the line. And not only my life, my wife, my family, my kids, a generation, my church, my God. It's on the line. And we got to change the way we think and the way we see. The last thing is this. We need to destroy apathy. Apathy absolutely needs to be destroyed. Jesus is, is trying to wake us up. It says, you know, it's no longer okay for us to just sit in our churches and experience God. Oh, bless God, Pastor. He's just blessing my life. That's wonderful. I hope he does. But can I tell you a secret? He's blessing you so that you can be a blessing to others. This isn't just for us. His spirit being poured out is wonderful to experience. But the power of the Holy Spirit is so that we will be able to go into the world, proclaim the good news, the gospel. Bring the power and the presence of our Savior to a lost and dying and hopeless world. We gotta go. We gotta take it forward. Let me tell you, every time we, the most intense spiritual warfare that we've experienced as a church and I've experienced personally. The devil is completely fine with us doing this. Go, go ahead, go in your churches, praise God, worship God, pray together. But you dare step out onto that pavement, get in your car and decide I'm gonna bring what I just experienced to work on Monday morning. I'm gonna start praying for people at work. I'm gonna start praying for revival in my workplace. I'm gonna start praying for revival if you're a student. Let me tell you something, the time is now. See, this is when you have a wartime mentality, the time is now. It's not just like when those people, he said, you run to the stage. There's a moment, there's a Kairos moment when, when God says, move, you move. When he says, go, you go. When he says, tell somebody this, you tell them. You don't hesitate in wartime or you're dead. You move. You realize there's an opening, and I gotta move now. The time is now. Attack now. Push now. Press in now. Pray now. Praise now. Come 
someone God is wondering in the middle of your doubts, are you willing to praise me? Because praise pushes back the enemy. That's why in the Old Testament, God commanded when the armies of Israel would go forth, he would have the tribe of Judah, Judah means praise. He would have them go forth. He'd put the praise band out in front of the army. What? What kind of battle plan is that? That's crazy. No, it's not. You want to know why? Because it's not a battle of flesh and blood. You know what would happen? That praise, that praise would go forth, and what happens was it would confuse the enemy, and they would start turning on each other. That's what happens. So let me tell you, there's some of you that right now you're going through some things, and we're going to end the service here in just a minute, that if you'll stand to your feet and say, in the middle of my doubt, in the middle of my disappointment, in the middle of my disillusionment, I'm going to violently invade heaven with my praise. I don't care. Paul took the position. He's in prison. He's got shackles. He doesn't know if he's going to live or he's going to die. He knows that life and death are hanging in the balance. What does he do? This is about midnight. Paul and Silas started praying and praising God. And the praise reached beyond the four walls of that prison, out of the bars, and everyone heard them, and it reached the sound of heaven, and God said, I'm gonna inhabit the praises of my people, and my power is gonna rip away those bars, gonna rip away the doubt, rip away the disillusionment, rip away the despair, rip away the depression, and heaven is gonna invade earth. It says a violent earthquake shook the ground. And they came out. They came out. God just reminded me. Some of you have forgotten who you are. I'm speaking prophetically now. I'm reminded in John chapter 11, and there was a man named Lazarus and he got a sickness. That sickness, it said it didn't, Jesus said that he's dying. He said, no, he's not dead or he's dead. He's not dead, he's just asleep. And then when Jesus showed up on the scene, it says Jesus got angry and he said, where have they put him? And they showed him where his dead body was and he went in front of that tomb and he yelled out. He said, Lazarus, come forth. And it said the dead man came out alive. Let me tell you something. There's some of you, you feel like your heart's dead this morning. Some of you feel like you've lost your passion for God. You just don't have it in you to press in. You're tired, you're weak, you're weary. You feel dead inside. And Jesus has a holy anger. He's saying, where have you put my daughter? Where have you put my son? Where are you? You're just a shell of yourself. You're not who you really are. Some of you know exactly who I'm talking to you this morning. And I believe that Jesus right now wants to call you forth. He wants to infuse you with your, his life. He wants to get his heart in you. You know the word enthusiasm? You know where the origin is? N-E-N, in, feel, God. Your passion lies in God. The 
more you get in God and the more his spirit gets in you, the more passion you're going to have. God is going to restore passion to somebody. He's going to put his heart in you. I'm going to close with this story. Many of you have seen the movie Braveheart, one of my favorite movies of all time. I love the passion, heart, William Wallace, just warrior. Just see him on that, on the, riding in front of the army, screaming freedom, the blue face, just foaming at the mouth, just make every man's blood boil. He was on a quest to set Scotland free. And he made a deal with one of the nobles, Robert the Bruce. And they had a disagreement. Robert the Bruce thought, we don't need to go to war. We can sit down at a table. We can compromise. We can work out a deal. We can work out an agreement. We can politically handle this. We don't need to go to war. And they disagreed. William Wallace said, no. The only way to win this fight, to gain freedom, is we're going to have to take it to them. We're going to have to, we're going to, have to win this fight. It's going to be violent. It's going to be bloody. It's going to take sacrifice. But we can win. Robert the Bruce reluctantly agreed, but what they didn't really know is they went behind his back and he, he told them when he was going to attack. And you know the story, they captured William Wallace and, uh, and they had him executed. And when they went against the agreement, Robert the Bruce understood that he made a huge mistake. He tried to compromise with something that needed to be destroyed. And so from that moment on, he committed to take the fight to England to gain Scotland's freedom and eventually did at the age of 44 and I think 1309, somewhere around there. As he was on his deathbed, he told everybody in the room, he said he was so impassioned for the freedom of Scotland that he said, when I die, I want you to rip my heart out and I want some valiant warrior to take it on crusade wherever you go. Wherever you go into the fight, I want you to bring my heart with you because my heart is with you, even though I die. And he died and one of his closest comrades, James Douglas, in that room, heard that cry. They embalmed his heart and they put it in a, in a locket he wore it on a chain around him. Wherever he went into the battle, he literally went into the battle with the heart of the king against his chest. Reminds me of when the Last Supper, when John the Baptist was leaning against the chest of Jesus. He felt his heart. He felt his passion. It got into John. He became this passionate lover of Jesus and people. The story goes that James Douglas took the fight to the Spaniards and one time he was fighting against the Moors and he found himself completely surrounded all by himself and instead of surrendering, he ripped the heart off the chain, threw it in the middle and said for the heart of the king, go brave heart forward and he ran at his enemy and he got destroyed struck down but it ignited a passion and his fellows that were fighting the fight with him and they came in and eventually won the fight and those words still to this day are part of the Douglas family motto go forward 
I think that's the motto that Jesus was trying to get into us. The kingdom suffers violence. And the violent take it by force. But they take it with the heart of the king. How many of you would say, I want to... I want to take the fight to the enemy for the heart of the king. There's people that need Jesus. We need Jesus. Come on as we close. I just want to ask you to be bold right now. I believe the Lord showed me there's some of you that you've lost that passion. You just settled for a lower life, a lesser life. And today you would say, Pastor Lance, I want that fire back. John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water, but there's one coming that I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals who's going to baptize you with spirit and fire if that's you just raise your hand just slip your hand up hands up all over just like first service just keep do me a favor I want you to now keep your hand up and stand to your feet and as we worship here's what I want us to do especially those of you who were at the let us worship event I want you to find somebody with their hand up. I want you to begin to pray over them. Just right now, go, right now. Just begin to pray over them. Pray that God would fill them with new fire, new passion. Give them a new heart. Come on, begin to pray. If you're not praying for somebody, just pray to yourself. And then we're going to end with praise. We're going to worship God and believe God is setting some people free right now. He's igniting hearts, the fresh fire, a fresh passion, a fresh love for Jesus, a fresh love for people. Come Holy Spirit. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Hope Church. If you enjoyed this message, you can easily support the ministry of Hope Church at hopechurchmt.com slash give. Also follow us on social media at hopechurchmt. Be blessed and have a great week.